0: afternoon or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another, can I say sparkling? You know, I think tonight's going to be sparkling because we're going to be talking about glass and prismatics and hyperdimensional physics. Another sparkling edition of The Other Side of Midnight. I mean, it's becoming kind of uh, tiresome, but uh, remember when The really woo-woo, the weird stuff was confined to uh, this time of night. You know, all you Art Bell fans out there. Well, it has escaped. It is now, even in the mainstream, 24-7. I mean, come on, the DNI, the uh, Director of National Intelligence, who coordinates 16 intelligence agencies, of the U.S. government and reports directly to the president and is supposed to streamline communication and bureaucracies and problems with interconnectivity and bureaus and all that. Um, she herself, the other day, uh, last week on the 10th, at the National Cathedral, uh, her name is Avril Haynes, and she has been in intelligence work for all her professional life, She basically came out and said, extraterrestrials are real. I mean, that is such a far cry from the position of the intelligence community or communities all over the world, who, of course, have been talking to each other about this stuff for decades. Um, That is such a far cry from, for instance, the CIA creating the Richardson panel, which basically was a whitewash and was convened to basically tell everybody, nothing to see here, move along, move along, it's all just in your imaginations. Well, it's not, and in a couple of minutes I'm going to talk about something that I think is front and center on the runway, in terms of it's very, very, very real, and it is intruding in an increasingly major way into our nursery. Uh for those of you who are new to the show, what you want to do is you want to go to the Other Side of Midnight.com. That's our uh, URL. And once you're there, you want to click on the either the section on the left that says Tonight Show, or it's better to just click on the banner which says the magical hyperdimensional disc and what it does, with guest Michael Lee Hill listed below. That's a copy of one of these discs. Oh, wait till you hear about the discs. This is, this is so cool. Anyway, the, for the next few minutes. So you click on that. That takes you to the guest page, Michael's page. And right under Michael's page, you will see uh, fast links to items. Click on my name. That takes you down to a section of Radio with Pictures where I post items of news and interest and relevance to the show, things that I am bringing to the uh, big green felt table here in the Land of enchantment. Item number one, as you know, we've been leaving for many weeks now with our first news item being La Palma. When you tune in to tomorrow night's show, you're going to find a whole new take on why our focus, nay, our obsession with La Palma, uh, seems to be increasingly justified. That is a kind of a hot link. You click on that. That gives you the latest updates You want to put that on your phone you want it to you know give you an alert if there are major seismic events because worst case scenario if la palma were to slide or at least half of it into the atlantic ocean the resulting tsunami could be very bad as sagan once said for beagles and begonias to say nothing to people um that is a low low probability event unless it's not, and we live in this very strange, surreal, twilight zone, uh, other side of midnight reality now, where weird things are happening 24-7, uh, and tomorrow night I'm going to kind of go through a list of weird things. We've got Rick Levine, and we've got Georgia Lambert, and we're going to have an extraordinary three hours trying to figure out what's coming. Something is coming the something is as close as I can you know bound it with the science that I try to bring to this the something is hyperdimensional the something is out of out of time and space and dimensions and I'm kind of sounding like Thurling myself I guess and we think we even have a date so we will explain all of that in chapter and and verse and uh, you will want to be here you know, it's one of those, you know, be here or be square. Uh, you want to be here because it's going to make sense of things in the mainstream news that unless you're following all the dots, you may not connect. Um, I'm hearing people, anchors of networks, who say, I have I have no idea what's going on. I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, this is totally unprecedented. Uh, uh, I can't figure out why this is occurring. In other words... Humility comes before insight. And unlike my conversation with Ted Koppel some years ago, and I bring up his name because uh, Keith was able to arrange for a face-to-face meeting many, many years ago. And he sat there. Remember, Keith, he sat there in the meeting and he said, after I'd laid out Cydonia and all the reasons why the data says it was real, he looked at me earnestly in only the way that Ted Koppel could look at you. And he said, but Dick, if this was real... I would know about it, which, of course, is the ultimate act of hubris, and that's how they keep control. The control of the mainstream media is not somebody dictating a memo saying, you cannot talk about this. It's much more psychological and subtle and nuanced. You simply make certain things so crazy, so out-of-the-box, so embarrassing that you would not go on the air and talk about it because all your colleagues would jump on you and you get nasty messages on Twitter these days, etc., etc., etc. So the cattle shoots are much more subtle. And because they're subtle, they're not immutable. They're not solid. They're not, you know, forever. And there are little breakthroughs, like anchors saying, I don't understand what's going on. And that's a window... sending tweets and emails and other documentation to point people who have very responsible and very meaningful positions in major media in other directions, because their control is not someone saying, you cannot do this. It's someone saying, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to risk your reputation? Do you really want to in other words it's all about ego and preservation of credibility and prestige again back to Koppel. if this was real dick i would know about it okay moving on item number 2 this is an example of exactly what i've just been talking about on monday of uh, this week we're still in this week you know it feels like you know like a month goes by every week But we're still in this week. Monday, a Russian satellite, a decades-old satellite, an old-weather satellite, was destroyed. Um, The wisdom says, starting with the U.S. State Department, that the Russians destroyed it themselves as part of an anti-satellite test. And frankly, I don't believe a word of it. And I'm not going to take a lot of time tonight to explain why I don't think the Russians shot down their own satellite, not in a million years. I think something else did it. And the Russians and all of these combined intelligence agencies of all these so-called separate nations have all agreed to maintain the illusion that we are not. You know, we are are basically alone. We don't have visitors. We don't have anybody else poking around. Uh, Tomorrow night, I'm going to have uh, one of our uh, military contributors uh, who was a member of the uh, uh, Coast Guard and the Marine Fleet. And he's going to... uh, His name is Robert Morningstar. He hasn't been on for quite a while. He's going to give us the backstory and the Russians ostensibly shooting down their own spacecraft and creating in the process an extraordinary set of problems. And if you don't think there is a set of problems that accompany this, look at item number three. The NASA chief, Bill Nelson, who is a was a long, long, long-term senator from Florida, actually flew in the shuttle, became a uh, shuttle astronaut uh, many decades ago, a couple decades ago, and now has been appointed the uh, NASA administrator by President Biden. Well, Bill Nelson has come out in several venues saying, in essence, what the DNI said, uh, which is, you know, they're here, that we're not alone, and it's not Iran, and it's not China, and it's not Russia doing these bizarre things over uh, U.S. battle fleets, aircraft battle fleets, like the Nimitz and the Roosevelt. But it's someone else. Well, Read carefully and watch carefully Bill Nelson as he condemns the Russians for their ostensible anti-satellite test. Um, There are things moving in the dark, and that's what we're going to talk about in great length tomorrow night, how we can figure out what's coming before it's here and what we can do to prepare. And there are some very interesting sources for information as to what's coming So that is all tomorrow night, and tonight is a prelude. Let me tell you how it's a prelude, okay? Because if you're going to buy the model that we're going to put out tomorrow night, you have to buy the idea that there is a hidden, secretive, all-encompassing, I can say the words, yes, all-encompassing physics, which has really been running the world forever, and we, the... Great unwashed, the public, the mainstream academics, the physicists who work at MIT or Harvard or Caltech or whatever, they're not in on it except for a very selected few. So we have a two-tier system. We have a fake physics uh, in the textbooks and being taught in school and being parroted by anchors on television because they don't know any better. And then we have the real stuff, and the real stuff that what we're going to really be delving into in terms of what does it mean for us now, what is coming that is hyperdimensionally figurable out, is that a phrase, well I guess it is now, by applying this physics, because tonight we're going to talk about a technology and a set of experiments and a set of experiences And information from, should I say, higher sources, which all tend to converge on this idea that we're living and have been for a very long time under a two tier system. Why? Because that's how they, and you can fill in the blank who the they are, have been maintaining control. My guest tonight is Michael Lee Hill. Uh, He is an award winning musician, a filmographer and and this is going to become extremely relevant tonight a ufo experiencer who has incorporated cosmic harmonic frequencies into his music that have been gained from his communication with and i love this phrase those not from here <laughs> that's that's very good michael very good michael speaks on the indigenous connection with star beings and the wisdom gained in these communications he discusses time numbers, and the physics of creation. His actual scientific GVD photography, uh, and he'll ask him to explain what GVD means momentarily, has captured the amount of photonic light within a droplet of water. Imagine, this is energized water, which has been exposed to this technology we're going to talk about tonight. Imagine what drinking this water, this this this... Uh, uh, Shall we say uh, energized water can do to the human body at the cellular level based on the experiments that Michael's going to talk about? He has footage of the Lake Erie UFOs which have been going on uh, for some time, um, which created a kind of a Billy Meyer like buzz uh, two two or three years ago. Michael seems to have developed a kind of an intuitive relationship, a resonance with the appearance of these craft. He's going to talk about that. Michael lives in Ohio. I used to live in Indiana. I used to wave at Ohio. Michael has been cataloging video after video of UFOs over Lake Erie for a very long time. The phenomena consist almost entirely of pulsating orbs of light. Unusual light scene changing colors, converging, and separating over the lake. Uh, There's a lot more there on his uh, Other Side of Midnight biography, which you can find again by clicking on. I think you can click on that. Does that work? No, it doesn't work. You have to scroll down to Michael's uh, bio at the very top of the guest page. So without further ado, Michael Lee Hill, come on down. You're back on the Other Side of Midnight.
1: (laughs) I like that. Uh, I've been beamed down. Uh, Thank you for having me, Richard. It's um, such an honor and um i'm so excited you know i feel i'm just like to myself i'm a rock and roll guitar player and um it's such a an honor to me to be able to talk with you about some of the things that are unfolding because uh you're you and there's not too many other people i could even talk to about this so i'm very appreciative Of you having me on and being able to
0: talk. (laughs) Well, as Connie Chung said, remember that great line when she said to her guests, who was, I forget who she was interviewing, she said, Hey, you can tell me, just you and me. Not, of course, withstanding millions of people who were watching. (laughs) So, Michael, you can talk to me. You know, we won't think about all the people in the 190 some countries that tune in every weekend to hear the show. I want (laughs) to go back because we have a very interesting turnover of listeners. And I know that Mm -hmm. because we follow the numbers. You were on the show a year, two years ago, something like that. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people that do not know why Michael Lee Hill is on the other side of midnight tonight. So let's start out with what age were you when you looked around and said, what's wrong with this picture? Mm.
1: Very early on, I, um, I would have these experiences where I would ask my mom, why is Santa Claus's elves coming to visit me? And it's not Christmas. And um, that was in my childhood. And when I got into my 20s, I kind of went, I became a manager for a company that made dollar bill acceptors. And I kind of went headfirst into 3D land, you know, and some of those experiences started to uh, dissipate. And it wasn't until... Due to a tragedy in my life, I really called out to the universe, said, if there's anyone out there or in here, you need to speak up. And what I was given was an unquenchable thirst for knowledge. And I started to read a lot of books. I was led instantly to uh your material, Richard, and especially on the moon and nineteen point five and the things encoded there <laughs> and It's like when I needed some answers to things that were unfolding, I was led to you and that was very that was early nineties um but this all escalated until you know when I asked for answers, what I was given was actually the Seth material. And it's all about thoughts creating reality. Okay,
0: for those people who are much, much, much too young to Mm. even know who Seth is, give us a thumbnail sketch. Who was Seth and why did uh, those channelings kind of take the country for quite a while?
1: Um, It was in the late 60s, I do believe, and there was this lady who taught a college class. Her name was Jane Roberts. And she was getting communication from this other dimensional being And it ended up where all these people that were scientists and later in the day, quantum physicists, started to understand these concepts that Seth was bringing forth was absolutely accurate and that it's how consciousness is tied to reality. And truly, the whole idea is belief, which is thoughts, feelings and emotions create your physical experience. And it's mirroring really what you expect, you know, Uh, what you focus upon will determine what you experience and there is no other main rule. So these ideas of starting to take control of your own mental energy and um, you know, I read all these books and I got to the point where I'm like, I think I understand it, but that's not like, uh, what would you call it? actually using it, implementing it in your life. That was was a whole other step. But I started to to work on these things, and instantly I was kind of put in contact with something higher. And I like to say...
0: What do you mean you were put in contact?
1: It contacted me, and it happened through synchronicity and strange coincidences. And I like to say, you know, like when you start to pay attention to weird coincidences and they start to grow... And mm-hmm. they grow to the point that all doubt is removed, that something is in communication with you, you know. That, that leads to a whole nother well, what is it? Well, know? hang
0: on, What's hang that? on. We, we have three hours, so you said these mm-hmm. synchronicities and coincidences start at the beginning. What was the first one? Why did it get your attention? And how did it wind up changing you? Well,
1: I, uh, I started reading a lot of books on psychology and actually… Uh, this, was,
0: this was after you'd read the Seth material
1: uh during the same time actually ah, ah. um like i said like i instead of them giving me answers they gave me a thirst for knowledge and i just started being ex led to beds of information and seth was one of them oh so instead but, of giving you knowledge they gave you
0: questions
1: yes the, the right yes.
0: questions
1: yeah it's all and about it the right, right radicles, questions you know and um so what happened was i uh at that point the idea that there's an infinite amount of probable realities and we tune into them through our own belief system that was totally foreign to me and it was not easy for me to shatter that old paradigm that there's only one reality out there this rock bed reality and there's a reality and we are just observers to start to understand we're interacting with it is a whole nother step in like mentalness and it wasn't easy for me but um Right so are we st- kind of talking like, what, alternative timelines? Yes, that mm-hmm. actually gets into, I, we can talk about what you're talking about, what's coming. And because down the rabbit hole, uh, I was actually contacted and brought into the fold of the NSA remote viewers and uh, reverse engineering team. And I did a lot of work with them from 2008 to 2012.
0: Okay, and I it, try to be a little metonymic on the show, linear, because people follow stories e- more easily right, that way, right. so let's not jump ahead, let's take that yeah. sequence. So we're back, your day job Seth. is boring, it's just, it's just to keep you alive, it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, dollar bill acceptors and vending machines, and your nightlife is Seth and psychology and trying to figure out what the hell is music. really going he- on. Yes. And uh,
1: what I started to learn through some psychology books is it almost seemed like if you could just believe in something so much, you could tap into some other force and healing would come out of it and everything. And I, I felt at that time, that's very unfair because I just can't believe in something just to believe in it. So I could tap in to some power. And uh, then it occurred to me that, well, what if we all we just have this power innately, to form reality and um the idea i actually wrote it down that thoughts create reality well right after that is when i i seen the first seth message and uh, you know just came across randomly and his whole synopsis was thoughts create reality now up until that point i considered myself pretty scientific and if it wasn't for me actually writing those words down, perhaps we create our own reality. Mm-hmm. I would have never even given that any credence. Okay, um, let, me, let, I,
0: me, let me stop you there because uh, we have kind of hit the first speed bump, the first Hoagland speed bump. Mm-hmm. I have been very, 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 very skeptical of channeling, and I'll tell you why. Not the idea there isn't somebody at the other end of the phone, mm-hmm. but do I want to listen to this person who does not have a body, who's telling me these are the secrets of the universe. I mean, if somebody stopped me on Fifth Avenue and they said, Psst, hey, buddy, I got the secrets of the universe. I'll give them to you for free. Would I stop or would I keep on walking? I would keep on walking. So why too, is it di- Hang on, hang on. Why <laughs> is it different in terms of a hyperdimensional realm when someone comes to you in whatever form and says, Psst, I got the secrets of the universe? how do you wind up believing them
1: well up until that point i would have been right with you and i would have just thought well this is a human mind malfunctioning but it was because the message was exactly what i came to through my own consciousness and that is thoughts you know belief creates reality so when i seen you mean in terms
0: of your other reading
1: yeah yeah just because of the psychology uh, book that I was reading, it made me come to this conclusion on my own without Seth. So when I seen Seth's words and it was my own words, I, it made me go, well, maybe I should not be so, uh, dismissive and look into what this information has to say. And it ended up changing my life. I, you know, what really did it is starting to understand these concepts, concept, concepts, and implementing them in my life and for instance if you change some belief you have let's usually it's a negative thought form and then you see your reality change for real that's a that's a truth that comes from within no books no religions needed no one can take it away from you and once you see that, if you go and become aware, think about what you're thinking about, and if something is fear-based, see if there's another option, and you start to see your reality change, you start to go, well, what else is available, you know? And um, this was what started this whole path to actually meeting this intelligence. Um, that, But I, I think that answered your question of why I gave it credence. Um, but, uh, what happened is about 2005, you know, I'm a musician and we were having a band practice at my house and I live very close. So wait, you said
0: you were, you mean from growing up, you did, you know, the band stuff in the basement and all that, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Music has been my love, you know, my first love period, you know, since I've been a child. And um, so during a band practice, me and the bass player went into the my backyard, which, like I said, if I threw a stone twice, it would hit the lake.
0: Mm, but, and, how old, uh, but how old were you? This
1: would have been 2005. So I'm 53 now. I don't know I have to have to do the math. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was the, like 2005 time period. And um, me and him seeing a craft right on the shore of Lake Erie. And it was big. Like, if you held your fingers up to the horizon, it would have been about a two inch, you know, span up there.
0: And it it, was was as as big as the full moon, for instance.
1: um, Yeah. Yeah. But this was close. It was only, you know, about, I think it was 12 houses from the lake. So, I mean, it was 12 houses away from me, us. And it was, it looked like a huge. Light phenomena, but it had really distinct edges, and it had what looked like a ball up on top of this. It kind of the only way I could describe it is maybe some kind of hat, you know, it had a bottom level, a platform. You mean like a
0: bowler? Mm, I don't know what that is. Well, a bowler has a rim and has a rounded top, as opposed mm. to a Stetson, which has a peak top. Well
1: imagine if you just held up your cell phone and you're looking at it and on top of your cell phone you had a ping pong ball but the whole thing is made of light that's kind of what it looked oh, like. Oh
0: so so it was like a like a square with a, with a with a ball on top that was glowing.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Oh. Exactly.
1: And um it was very close and it would it's kind of on its side and it would skip almost to the left and then it would go back to the right and we sat there and watched it For five minutes, it seemed like eternity, you know? Mm. But um, I didn't get that one on film, but it really started. Oh, I was going to say, where was your
0: camera? Uh. Right, yeah. This was
1: before I even started filming them. This is what made me start filming them because I was like, I don't know what that was. Now, when you say filming,
0: you don't mean a 60 millimeter film camera. You mean digital, you mean smartphone, that kind of thing.
1: No, this is. 2005, there was no... I was using a Sony Handycam that recorded on a digital 8 camera.
0: Oh, okay. And
1: each one of these um, tapes would hold, in the highest resolution that it would film, it was one hour per tape. I'll, so tell you what, I'll
0: tell you what, we're at the bottom of the hour. Great tease. My guest this morning is Michael Lee Hill. He is a uh, rock musician of some note. He has been delving into other beings from other dimensions, starting way back when he started reading the infamous, the classic Seth material by Ms. Roberts. And uh, no, he didn't answer my question, not exactly. So we'll get back to why would you believe someone even if they don't have a body? And that will kind of permeate our conversation because I like to try to back up unusual, bizarre experiences of which I've had a few With good old science. God, what an interesting concept. Science, testing, empirical data. Wow, what a concept. We'll get back to Michael momentarily. You're on the other side of midnight here from the Land of Enchantment for this Saturday evening, November 20th, 2021. Lots of twos there. We shall return.
2: One of the ways that this organized crime system has been able to monopolize the media and has been able to uh, control the government, and control perception on a wide scale, is because it's the banks at the core And they've been given the privilege of creating money out of thin air using a technique called fractional reserve banking. Where the central banks backstop the money center banks to create money out of thin air. So when you go to get a loan, whether it's a mortgage or a car loan, that's not deposit money that they're loaning you. Uh, they just credit your account with some dollar credits and you're off to the races. And then you spend the rest of your life paying interest on a mortgage that somebody created out of thin air. And that's the reason why the bank is the largest building in every city on the planet. Because they're making outrageous profits by getting to loan money at interest that they created out of thin air. This is Etienne de la Buisi-Squared, the author of Government, the Biggest Scam in History, Exposed. And some of my favorite conversations are the ones that I have on the other side of the news. With Timothy, Annetta, and Cynthia. thank you for doing what you do and providing the service that you provide.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight. For this Saturday, November 20th, Thanksgiving is five days away, rushing at us like a freight train. Um, My guest this morning is Michael Lee Hill, who, among other things, is a really interesting uh, rock musician. I have, uh, through my family, my brothers and sisters, many years ago, have had a more than passing association with the world of rock and roll rock and roll music performing being on stage crowds colleges rallies you know the whole the whole nine yards anyway michael you were in the middle of a of a saga please continue
1: yeah you know thank you first of all because i think it's important to show the progression of, you know, reading the Seth material and then starting to take control of my own mental energy. And I'd started to learn how to meditate as well. And during meditation, I started to come in contact with something else like, you know, if it's coming from your own mind, you know, and it's not, it was, and there's this voice guiding me saying, if thoughts create reality, then if you have the faith of mustard seed as they say step out of your old life like i said i was a manager for this company for 15 years making dollar bill acceptors and uh i started to look at like in the future well if i stay here i'm gonna be 60 years old making x amount of money mm. probably a lot of money but it felt hollow
0: Boring. like i would rather Boring. yeah
1: right oh like, I would... I'd rather play guitar in a smoky bar and barely keep a roof over my head than that reality. So uh, this voice, you know, was saying if you have the faith to step out. Wait, of wait, wait, wait. wait. Door, what
0: What voice? What voice?
1: This is during meditation. Okay. And um, making contact with something you'd call it telepathic communication and um they started telling me some very specific things and i listened and because i think if something higher is communicating with you and you really believe it and you don't listen probably not very smart so i said if you step out of your old life you'll meet the people you need to meet and the doors will open effortlessly that if it feels like you're hitting your head against a wall you're not in the flow of what you're here to do and that was hard for me i had a house i had a you know, um, but that's when the tragedy happened as well and my aunt was murdered while staying with my parents and um, she was getting a divorce and her new husband found out he's going to have to pay her 50% of everything. That's what caused me to hit a wall and uh, so I put myself on the layoff list and the CEO called me and said, you know, I decide who gets laid off and you're not on the list, we need you. I had helped them get a U.S. Postal Contract Service and um, so you can imagine, every post office in the United States had one of our dollar bill acceptors in their stamp machine. It was a multi-million dollar—I think it was about thirty million dollar—deal. Uh, and I was in charge of quality control and looking into the you know software for these dollar bill changer, uh, changers. And um, so he said, uh, "You're not getting laid off." I'm thinking, well, this this creating your own reality thing isn't working real well, you know. Mm.
0: So, um, well, let me I stop, stop what... you there because it's like in your creating your reality. If your aunt is murdered, it, to me, it's the first question is, who the hell ordered this? Mm. How well, did how all... did that factor in? Did you fantasize about your aunt being murdered? No, of course not. No. So no, how do you factor no. that? The incredible shattering entropic intrusion of objective reality into this model we create our own reality.
1: Um at that point I didn't even have that but I think we each create our own reality in per, like in a personal level and in mass and um there's a lot of we we choose through self-inflicted thought forms of uh you know a lot of harmful things and not only that you don't really under not you The proverbial you but you know we don't understand there's other things at play too like karma and things working out and like for instance her being murdered actually brought her children together that hadn't spoken in a long time and it healed some of the rifts of the family and um, but uh, so what had happened was I put myself on the layoff list. They wouldn't lay me off, so I didn't know what to do. I just didn't. I'd get up like I was going to work, and I didn't. I'd just go drive to the park and sit there, and you know. And after a week, I'm like, well, I'm gonna have to do something. So I went in, and uh, went right to the CEO and said, listen, I can't explain this, but I need like I need to make a change in my life. And he said, well, listen, if you'll stay to the end of the layoff time, I'm gonna give you a nice severance package and you can go on your way, So, thank you, perfect. So about four months went by, and let me tell you, after like 15 years of, that was my life, I knew, I knew what I'd be doing in a year from now, uh, all of a sudden my future was wide open, you know? And it felt really wonderful, like anything's possible, I could totally fall on my face, or heaven on earth could start happening. And four months went by, no magical doors open. I met no one. And, of course, that, that voice of doubt starts coming in going, oh, you've really screwed up, you know. And um, at this point, I had the most lucid vision, dream. And in it was a musician. His name is Steve Vai. He played for Frank Zappa. Um, and then after that, when David Lee Roth quit Van Halen, he got Steve Vai to play guitar for him, and he was a huge inspiration for me. And um, in this vision, which was super real, I was led down this corridor by a guide, and it emptied out into this club, and Steve Vai was doing a sound check. And I was so excited, like, oh, my God, that's Steve Vai. He's one of my heroes, you know? And I remember him doing a song called There's a Train That's Leaving, and he was, like, levitating off the floor. And he floated over to where I was, and all of a sudden, this big crescendo of music was like, welcome aboard. But when he said welcome aboard, it was like this, voice from a movie. It almost slapped me out of my uh state that I was in, this lucid dream state. Well, I woke up and I thought that is the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. But I had this nagging feeling that there was some synchronicity waiting for me at Stevevi.com. And um so I thought, wouldn't it be weird if he's really working on a song called There's a Train That's Leaving or something like that. Mm. I go and I log in to Vi.com and the first thing I see was enter the Steve I. Ibanez guitar challenge, and the fur went up on the back of my neck. I, I <laughs> knew I was going to win that contest. And I hadn't even recorded a note, you know. It wasn't about that. It was about I just met him in a dream, and he said, "Bo, come aboard." So, uh, sure enough, I entered the contest. It was that's the award-winning musician part of this. And um, sure enough, he ended up picking me as the winner of that contest. How many? How many entered? Thousands. Wow. Um, yeah, and he gave me one of his own personal guitars, and they flew me to one of his concerts. I got to hang out the show and in his dressing room. And and what year was, was this? This was two thousand and one. Oh wow! And um, he uh, he said, "So I'm supposed to give you a guitar lesson?" And uh, I was like, "Yeah, that yeah, that's part of it." But I got to tell you, I'm totally self-taught. I'm so musically illiterate <laughs> it would frighten you. And so I'm thinking, you know, for this guy to teach me anything that played for Frank Zappa, you know, it would take a month of Sundays for me to even learn the simplest thing he could teach me. But I'm like, I have no way of going in and going, you know what, I don't want a guitar lesson. (laughs) How can you even say that without sounding like a, you know? But um, I, I just let it go. And when I go to meet him, they take me to his dressing room. He's like, so I'm supposed to give you a guitar lesson? I was like, uh, yeah. He goes, well, I hate to tell you, I don't think I can teach you anything. (laughs) That, uh, you know, you either emote through your instrument or you don't. And you emote, like you have your personality comes through. You know, what he did was take one of his own songs and he stripped all the guitar parts off of it down to just drums and bass. Mm -hmm. And then you had to re-record the track yourself. But they weren't looking for a copycat performance. They said, make it your own. And the one that was the most creative would win this contest, get to meet him, get the mentoring session, and get one of his private guitars. And um, uh, that all came what a What a cool
0: chip. contest.
1: Yeah, it was really cool. And I'll tell you what, you know, I had a recording studio. That was one of my hobbies of just having a home studio and writing and recording my own music. So like I said, I was such a fan of this guy. It was just, you know, I got to tell you, for about a week, I would go and try now mind you this is late 1990s I had a modem dial up and hit, <laughs> you know to stream it and it's like the whole thing was chopping and stopping and I'm like how am I supposed to record over this you know so in my mind I'm like that's a sign you know forget about it you don't need to do this and uh after about a week you know this voice I'm trying to go to sleep and it's like um persistent I was there. little guy isn't he yeah, they, that's exactly, because what happened was uh, I called out to the universe, screw the contest. I just want to record over that track. What's wrong with that? Why can't I do that? Because i that sounds fun to me. And this voice is like, well, go do it. I'm like, how about screw you? I've been trying for a week and I'm trying to go to sleep. It's one o'clock <laughs> in the morning. And, uh, I'm, and the voice said, well, you've learned nothing then. And I've learned at this point to listen. So I got up and I, I thought, well, you got to do something different than you've been doing for the previous week. And for the first time, I really didn't even have a computer that much. I didn't, at that time in my life, I didn't know about a right mouse click that brings up another menu
0: mm-hmm. that says
1: download file, you know? So the first thing that happened is I sat down. I'm like, I got to do something different. I, I right mouse clicked for the first time and I seen that download the MP3 file, and I was so excited. It took at that time with that technology about 45 minutes for yeah. it to download, you know. But when it got done, I was so excited that I fired up my amp, I put a microphone in front of it, and I recorded all the guitar tracks that night. I finished up about five o'clock in the morning, and uh, I listened back to it. I'm like, well, that's my submission, you know. I that's pretty cool, you know. And uh, five o'clock that morning, I sent in my submission, and I won the contest with it. So, if I would have been so stubborn and not gotten out of bed when it said, "Well, go record it," you know, well,
0: but, okay, um, okay, well, I have another dumb question. Mm-hmm. Why didn't the voice say, <clears throat> "Why don't you try, Michael, a right mouse click?" They're never that. Bad. Why? Because I, I guess Why? They, they point the finger and they want you to figure it out yourself. Yeah, but man. you didn't figure it out. You used a random trial and error process, just flailing around. It wasn't some kind of perception. It wasn't some kind of let's yeah, try. It you was. Know. It All's was just well trial and well. error.
1: All's well that ends well. You know, who's to say where inspiration even comes from? That at the end of all this, at least, you know, I think sometimes spirit sees, sees how uh, serious See, uh, you are. Let me, <laughs> let
0: me, let me, let me tell you kind of where I'm looking at this coming from. Um, Mm -hmm. I lived for 20 years with someone who I adored. Her name was Robin. And two and a half years ago, she died. And she's been communicating. But not through any appearance, trends, you know, holographic, you know, kind of holodeck stuff or voices, whatever. She's communicating through little creatures she's controlling mice to mm. arrange geometry and other messages on the floors all over the house including to take them from being terrified because they run at warp nine and this afternoon i'm sitting at you know getting ready for the show And I feel a little tug on my right shoulder, and one of these totally wild creatures—they—they are endangered species here. They're called kangaroo mice—is literally crawling up for the second time on my right shoulder. Oh, wow! So I have to interpret all of this through symbology, and her strange sense of humor. And but it's—it's—it's not linear. It's not metonymic. It's. And, of course, because I'm a fallible human being, I can be reading the wrong stuff into, you know, these events. But geometry is pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. Uh, But everything else is totally uh, personal and qualitative and, uh, you know, it's kind of interpretive. It's like, you know, trying to bring our life together to why would she, if it's her, and, again, that's a huge question, why would you be doing this now? That kind of thing. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. I've got a, a little bowl on the kitchen uh, counter with some pens and a couple of little uh, night light bulbs because I wanted to remind myself to order more night light bulbs because they they've burned out. And the mice have taken to hiding and reappearing the light bulbs. Now, mm. in normal parlance, a light bulb is a bright idea, Right. So is this a symbolic set of message chains where they are hiding and replacing the light bulbs as I'm thinking about things? Because there's no way to narrow it down. In an average day, you've got a million different things to think about. And if you're doing something like I'm trying to do, which is to run a research project, do individual research, do the show, to think about interesting guests that are going to be kind of in resonance with what's going on in the larger world, Um how do I track down which idea is worthy of a light bulb (laughs) and which is worthy of, you know, they're hiding it because that's not a good idea. In other words, it's so interpretive, it's almost useless. The only thing I can say is I either have the most genius-level mice in the Western Hemisphere (laughs) or someone is communicating through them, calming their fears So where they literally get up on my ankles and in my lap and on my shoulder. And it's not constant. It varies with the cycles of the hyperdimensional physics model. Like the bandwidth is open some days and is totally closed the next. During the eclipse the other night, the mice went nuts. I mean, they're doing things that are totally out of character because these are little wild creatures who think of me as this, you know, 20-foot-tall green giant without the jolly, normally. But something is overriding their fear and making them approach to within, literally, to sit on my shoulder. But it's not words. It's not her. It's not anything one would recognize unless you do a persimmonous kind of analysis that says, well, who else would care enough to do this?
1: Yeah, and I think this is a perfect example of what I said, is when you start to pay attention to these synchronicities.
0: Yeah, but I've been paying uh, attention all my life. You didn't have to die for me to pay attention to this stuff. It was part and parcel of our life from the get-go, and long before.
1: Understood. But what I would say is, whatever this intelligence is, can communicate through anything or anyone. And the more you pay attention, uh, the more it grows.
0: But and- it's not, in my experience, because I'm trying to do empirical research here. It's not mm-hmm. constant. There are no, days. It never is. There are days when the communication <laughs> is clearer. Well, that implies a physics. That implies yeah, a I set of physical modalities that are modulated by the same stuff I'm going to be talking to Rick Levine tomorrow night about.
1: Yeah, I'm learning a lot about moon phases and how it affects the Earth's uh, ley lines and, like you said, um, eclipses. And uh, I think that there is times, you know, Chief Golden Light Eagle will get into this, but he announced at the Serpent Mound, he said, Michael here is going to be the one who reveals to the world the frequency of Serpent Mound. And uh, I didn't know what he was talking about, but it ended up it's 4:32. But he said <laughs> on equinoxes and solstices, there's the most. Oh, okay, let's running... not
0: let's not get out of time because I'm trying to keep this thing linear. <laughs>
1: right on. Thank you. I I, I do jump around randomly. Yeah, okay, holes, so, so let's so... go
0: back to your <clears throat> incredible lesson in real time with the guy you've idolized. What yeah, happened about... to that relationship? What What did that springboard for
1: you? Uh, we're still friends, and it ended up then, you know, of Joe Satriani is another famous guitar player, and um, he ended up offering me a endorsement deal for his line of amplifiers. Then I met Dan Reed, who is was one of my hugest heroes, and he opened sixty shows for the Rolling Stones. He opened for David Bowie, Bon Jovi, and he's just one of uh, legendary show promoter Bill Graham took him under his wing and managed him until he passed away um so I met Dan and like I said we just uh collaborated on a song together we're like best friends now which is just weird to me it's it's weirder to me of meeting Steve Vai, Joe Satriani and Dan Reed than it is meeting the Anunnaki to be honest with you It it would seem more improbable <laughs> that that would be happening but it's only until i i you know if i sat at my old job none of this would have happened and um this is just the beginning of this this is 20 some years ago you know and it's been quite an unfolding from there but this is when it gets into uh you know actually why i'm on the show i guess is starting to film these orbs of light out over the lake and I would go down, I started just finding, once I seen that one craft we're talking about, like I said, I had the Sony Handycam, I didn't use it for anything, but um, one thing I I can tell you is I learned from David Sarita, who, uh, you know, he did the case for NASA UFOs, and he showed how some of these objects are only visible in infrared and gamma, and to our naked eye, they're invisible, but it's actually a more energetic state than even what our eyes can See, So I found out that this Sony Handycam had this super night shot mode where you could flip it in with a switch that was on the side of it. And now all of a sudden, it took me a year, by the way, to figure out this thing had a filming at nighttime mode, which made all the difference. Um, but I started to film these things and I really got tired of filming it because imagine they're the most beautiful hyper-dimensional colors. And you're looking at it through a black and white viewfinder. So... I just wanted to be able to, for that color to hit my retina, you know? And um, so I started to even talk to them out loud saying, listen, if you don't do something, come in closer, do something different. I'm not filming you anymore. I want to sit here and we'll have a nice night. And um, sure enough, they kept coming closer and closer. And, you know, Bill Burns said, "I, you know, because I learned how to use my camera, like turn the autofocus off. Because if one of these orbs is flying by you over the lake and it leaves your frame of you know, filming and it has to autofocus, you're done. You, it, so I figured out to take the autofocus off, put it in this night shot, and then while I'm filming it, I could put it in a super night shot. And then all of a sudden, you'd see the whole layout of the lake and you'd see that these things are about 30 or 40 feet above the lake. And I started to accumulate. Quite now, a is library.
0: anybody else in your neighborhood seeing the same stuff? No.
1: There, you know what really was weird at that Did time? Did you call is,
0: anybody and say, hey, Joe, you know, at 10 o'clock tomorrow night, something really weird is going to happen. You should take a look.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I
0: started to take people
1: down there, and they've seen it. And then some of my footage started going viral, and then the local news started to uh, contact me. And um, But uh, what had happened was because of my footage going viral – um, right now, if you go to my YouTube page, well, Michael Lee Hill, on YouTube, you'll see I have over 5 million views right now. Oh, cool. And m- most of it is the footage, and that's what drew the History Channel to my door. And they said, we're doing a show on Skywatchers, and we would like to include you. You'll have about five minutes on the show. And I said, sure. You yeah, know,
0: your web- Your websites are listed uh, in your bio at the top of the guest page.
1: Hmm. Cool. So you can see the footage, you know, I actually put all this footage together because after all this, I ended up being in 2011, I was contacted by Bigelow Aerospace. Um, Well, they made, it's called Bigelow Advanced, Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies. And this was from the funding from the Pentagon. And um, I got all the, the correspondence between me and their investigator. His name's Gary Hernandez. And uh, he said, we want you to know that we know you're in contact with the real thing because we've been studying it over the Skinwalker Ranch. And we don't know why you're having such a good experience with it where we're not having much luck. And I told him, I said, well, quit going after it with the arrow, you know. Um, But anyhow, uh, so the History Channel.
0: No, wait a minute. You just said something that to most people is incomprehensible Quit going after them or it with what? The arrow. What arrow? Got to
1: use the olive branch, man. It's on the back of the dollar. Oh, bill so you're talking choice.
0: metaphorical. The Pentagon is thinking there is antagonists, and yes, and and, and 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 you don't. Okay, well, all right. Yeah. Um. How you approach a conscious entity?
1: Yeah. If you if it's with the arrow, um, I've heard if you approach it with fear in your heart, fear is what you'll experience first we will just mirror it right back to you. Um, but uh, so what had happened was two weeks prior to coming to interview me for the UFO Hunters show. And roughly what they, year was this? This is 2008. Oh. Uh, so two, two things happened. They came at the end of 2007. Found out, you know, they didn't tell me this, but they had interviewed another contactee. His name was Terrell Copeland. And he was a Marine and he was stationed in Washington and uh, wow. they found out he had an unknown blood anomaly and um, none of the best military doctors could figure it out.
0: So now, they thought, is, how, is this the Bigelow group that's doing this research?
1: No, this, this, at this point, this is the history channel. Ah, um, okay. You know, uh, so they thought, wouldn't it be weird if these, because what they found is this guy in, Washington, this Marine, had filmed the same orbs of light I had filmed, had the same story of contact, and actually the same spiritual thoughts create reality, kind of bed of information given to him, Mm -hmm. but he had this blood anomaly, so the History Channel thought, wouldn't it be weird if these two guys that do not know each other, they're 500 (laughs) miles apart, if they both ended up with this unknown blood anomaly, so they're pretty smart, because if they would have told me they were flying me to Boston... To have my blood work done by a Harvard professor, His name was David Sisterham. I would have said no because I'm the biggest baby and I don't like needles. I'm oh, like, it's like a phobia of mine I don't, oh. and I didn't know they were flying right.
0: me. to top the hour okay uh we'll finish that a little bit more warning, Keith. thank you. I'm kind of lost <laughs> in in you know uh, Michael's amazing story here. okay, let's do this and this. My guest this morning is Michael Lee Hill. And he's just gotten to the really interesting part where officialdom, including a major network, is interested in his contact experiences. And his contact experiences are not via the arrow, metaphorically speaking, but via, you know, my grandmother more flies with honey than with vinegar. Anyway, you're on the other side of midnight. We shall return to Michael momentarily. Don't touch that Dial. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recordings have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I wanna thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today, and when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.